0: Well, tonight, if you would, I'm going to have you turn to Genesis chapter 5 and just hold your place there. Very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 5, and hold your place there for just a few minutes. I want to make an announcement um, tonight, a very important announcement as it relates to our business meeting coming up this Wednesday evening. I it was brought to my notice this morning that evidently there is a little bit of confusion related to the ministry uh, organization that Marcus and Rachel Lehman are with. And I wanted to bring some clarification for that and then be able you be able for you to ask further questions later if you want. But Marcus and Rachel Lehman, who we are recommending, the Pastors, Elders, Deacons, and Missions Committee, recommending that we take them on for 10% of their support, they are with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And Wycliffe Bible Translators is an umbrella organization for a number of parts of that Bible translation ministry. Some of you may be familiar with JARs which has some of their support in aviation ministry. And then there is the Seed Company, which is with um, where Marcus and Rachel are with, which is the primary uh, piece of Wycliffe Bible Translators that goes out and translates the Word, word of God in, in various people groups around the world. There is another ministry out there called Wycliffe Associates, Wycliffe Associates is not, in, is not connected in any way with Wycliffe Bible translators. Wycliffe Bible Associates has been involved in some controversial translation methods, okay? And there has been some criticism about Wycliffe uh, Associates uh, over the years, especially in the last decade or so. Now, what happened is years ago there was just a group of people who broke off from Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, started their own organization, had some disagreements with Wycliffe, and unfortunately, legally, were able to uh, maintain the Wycliffe name. But they are two distinct ministries having nothing to do with each other. Uh, But evidently, there's been some question about that. Um, If you want, um, a article, a document that addresses this, you can contact Jeff K. Uh, he has that. You can contact me. Jeff is going to send that to me and we can make that available to you. Maybe you have no questions. Maybe this isn't even an issue for you, but if it is, or if you hear someone talking about it, uh, we just want to make sure that, um, Marcus and Rachel are not involved with Wycliffe Associates, and we think that's important for you to know, especially for the Vote Wednesday evening. Okay, with that having been said, I'd like you to look with me tonight at Genesis chapter 5. We're going to focus on verses 21 through 24. I am starting a new series tonight, as you've seen in the bulletin, for actually a number of months as we've put uh, what we're teaching on in the Sunday evening services ahead of time so that people uh, are aware of what's what's happening on Sunday nights. And this series, which will go just for January and February, is six great summations of the Christian life. Parts of the Bible, passages of the Bible that really summarize the Christian life. What I want to do tonight is first I want to just read this passage for you then i want to introduce the series the series and then we're going to look at this man this fascinating man in the old testament named enoch enoch has been a source of fascination for jews and christians alike for centuries In Genesis chapter 5, let me read for you verses 18 through 27 so that you have the whole context for what we're looking at tonight. It is, in a sense, a kind of genealogy in Genesis 5 where it says this man lived for this many years, he had this son who lived this many years, and so on. And then we come to verse 18, when Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. For God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived, after he fathered Lamech, 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Well, our first point tonight is as I introduce this series to you, is the complexity and simplicity of the Bible. I want to talk about both aspects of this tonight. I would say to you, looking at it from one side, the Bible is the most beautifully complicated book that has ever been written. It is beautiful and it is complicated all at the same time. It is not just complicated, it is beautifully complicated. You could you could study the Bible when you are awake, every minute of every day, for your entire life, and still not exhaust its vast treasures. That's how amazingly and beautifully complex the Bible is. If you spent your entire life doing nothing else... All your waking hours, just studying the Bible, you would never exhaust the great treasures of the Bible. It has been called a bottomless treasure chest, and it truly is. It has been compared to, try, it has been compared to being like trying to drink the ocean dry. If the ocean had drinkable water, and you tried to drink it dry, obviously you could not. You could drink every day, all day, and still not even come close to drinking it dry. And so it is with the glorious, amazing Word of God. It is God's glorious revelation of Himself, and this is important, to sinful men and women. It is God's glorious revelation of Himself to sinful men men and women, and therefore there are going to be limitations upon us. Back in November, we went over the noetic effects of the fall. Because of our finite minds that are affected by sin, by the fall of man, there's a limitation to what we can understand. Now, let me quickly say, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, we understand much more than an unbelieving person ever could. We know that from the New Testament, that because of the Holy Spirit, we, our minds are illuminated to the truth of Scripture. It is open, our eyes are open, our hearts are open to the truth of scripture this is known as as i've shared with you before the great doctrine of illumination that the holy spirit illuminates our minds our emotions our hearts to understand the word of god but even within that there are parts of the bible if we are honest that seem wonderfully and i and i mean i say that I chose that word carefully, that are wonderfully beyond us. I was reading an article about a month ago by a great scholar who I admire, who said, I admit to you, there are parts of the Bible I still do not understand. And I thought, amen, I, I needed to hear that. You know, because that's true for all of us. Who of us will ever, ever understand all of the laws In the book of Leviticus. Who of us. Who among us. Will ever understand. All of the evil. That is found in the book of Judges. The book of Judges has some horrific. Sins committed. By the people of God. Who among us will ever understand. All the details of the major and minor prophets. Of the Bible. As I read through them. As I try to every year. It is fascinating, it is thrilling, but there are some parts I still don't know exactly what it's referring to, but I love it anyway. I love, I absolutely love the book of Revelation. It is one of my favorite books in the Bible, but I will probably never fully understand all the details and what exactly everything is referring to. And here we sit tonight after over 2,000 years of church history, and there are still verses and passages that well-meaning Christians sincerely disagree on their interpretation to this day. I'm not talking about a lot of verses, but there are still those verses, that small section of verses that born-again believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart still Agree to disagree on how those verses are to be interpreted. Until we leave this earth, we will always be quoting Isaiah chapter 55 and verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts. Than your thoughts. And we just have to rest in that. We do. We love the Bible, but there are parts of it that we just keep digging at. And probably, and well, truly, even when we leave this earth, we will never have understood them fully. Now, let me give you the whole other side of that. Having said all that, the Bible can be understood, believed, and obeyed by the simplest among us, even by those with little or no education. So here is this beautifully, wonderfully complicated book called the Bible. And it can be understood, believed, and obeyed by the simplest of people, even with those with little or no education. In fact, sometimes those with very little education sometimes put the rest of us to shame because of their sincere, childlike belief in what they do understand. Let us say tonight, the Bible can be understood, believed, and obeyed by children. The Bible can be understood, believed, and obeyed by those with limited mental capacities. I know not all of you have been there, but... Most of you know about it, Shepherd's Ministry, uh, a ministry to adults with limited cognitive abilities in Union Grove, Wisconsin, a ministry that we have supported for years. I've been there a number of times. Uh, Amazing, amazing what the residents understand, what they know, and what they believe. And we know this, that clearly taught in both the Old and New Testaments, is that intellectual pride can be one of the greatest barriers to childlike faith for all of us. Now, having said both of those things, that the Bible is this wonderfully, beautifully complicated book, yet it can be understood by the simplest among us, by children, by those with limited mental capacities. Having said all that, Intertwined in the Bible's complexity and simplicity are passages that summarize the Christian life, that get right to the heart and soul of living the Christian life. That's what this series is about. That dotted throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament are these passages that you say, yes, that's what the Christian life is all about. How this came about, and this has actually been kind of ruminate, ruminating in my mind for years before I put this together in a, in a series, but uh, years ago, I was preaching on Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Or as the NIV, but seek first the kingdom of God And all these things will be given to you as well. And if we seek God and his righteousness. We seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. The thought is everything else will take care of itself. And I thought that's it. In fact, that's going to be. That's one of the texts I'm going to use in this series later on. And I read in a commentary that that is a great summation of the whole Christian life. And I, I made that statement in the sermon. And then afterwards, somebody for whom I had and still have great respect, Fran Nelson. Many of you remember Alf and Fran Nelson, members here for many years. Alf went home to be with the Lord. Fran is still alive in her 90s and doing well. And, and she talked to me in, in the foyer afterwards, and she said, yes. She said, Matthew 6.33 is really at the heart and soul of what the whole Christian life is about. Sometimes we can make it so complicated, but God wants it to be, in a sense, so simple to us that so many of these things are summarized for us. In fact, one passage that I'm not going to use or not going to, use as part of this series, because I'm using six passages throughout this series. There are more than six. But I picked out six of, of probably the best known, I think the, the, the greatest ones. And one I'm not going to use, except I'm going to use it at the end of this message again, is Micah 6.8. Most of you know it. For he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, but to act justly, and to show mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's the Christian life. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? We debate all of these, you know, hair splitting issues in theology. But when it comes down to it, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act with justice. To show mercy. And to walk humbly. With your God. So. We will spend our earthly lives. Joyfully. Hopefully. Joyfully. Reading. Studying. And meditating. On the word of God. And digging out all the treasure we possibly can. Knowing that there will be some parts of it. That will remain hard. That we may not fully understand this side of eternity. But always remember this. What we don't know is never an excuse for disobeying what we do know. Let me say that again. What we don't know is never an excuse for disobeying what we do know. It has been said another way. If you want more light from Scripture... Obey the light you already have. You may have heard that before. If you want more light, obey the light you already have. As you obey what you do know, God will reveal more to you. So, in this series, over these next two months, we are going to look at six great summations of the Christian life. And we are going to start out with Genesis 5, verses 21 through 25. And that is our second point. Enoch walked with God. Let me read again for you verses 21 through, excuse me, it's 21 through 24. 21 through 24 is our text. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God. And he was not. For God took him. Enoch is one of the most fascinating people. Not only in the Bible. But in all Jewish literature. Enoch is a rock star. He is. Not only among Christians. But also among Jews. It was fascinating doing some background reading on him. He is a legend. He's a legend among the Jewish people because of the way he was taken from this earth and because the only thing we ever read about Enoch is that he walked with God. He walked with God, then he was not because God took him. Uh, stories of Enoch now in heaven having a special place in heaven and being given even now in heaven special dreams and revelations and prophecies in heaven because he is very special to God. Now that is all speculation, but there are some books of the Bible, or excuse me, not books of the Bible, but extra biblical books, books outside of the Bible. There are have been there for years. Some have wondered whether they should be part of the inspired word of God, but they have been determined by councils over centuries not to be, but nonetheless, they are out there as other books. One set of the books are called the Apocryphal, often used by the Roman Catholic Church. The other set of books are called the Pseudepigrapha. You don't need to remember those terms, but simply to know that there have always been these kind of extra books out there. In the Pseudepigrapha, Are these three books called First, Second, and Third Enoch? And again, this is part of the whole legend of Enoch. Some of these, some parts of First, Second, and Third Enoch may actually contain some historical accounts, but it has certainly been determined that much of it is just conjecture, speculation, and has never been considered part of the inspired Word of God. So, understandably, understandably there is a great deal of speculation about the life of Enoch. What was this man like who is singled out in this kind of repetitive, these repetitive statements that happen in Genesis 5 and then all of a sudden Enoch walked with God and he was no more because God took him. Well, what I want to do tonight is not dwell on the speculative but let's dwell because it's really fascinating just on what we know from the bible okay let's just focus in the time we have left on what we do know from scripture first of all we know he was the son of jared verse 18 when jared had lived 162 years he fathered enoch we know that enoch was the father of methuselah methuselah at least according to the bible being the longest living person ever. The person with the longest life, 969 years. Methuselah is famous for that. His father was Enoch. And most importantly, we know that in three verses, we are told twice that Enoch walked with God. Verse 22, Enoch walked with God. Verse 23, thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not. The New International Version has and he was no more for God took him. So we know that Enoch walked with God and then he was not. He was no more for God took him. We know that as Enoch walked with God on this earth, as he walked with God one day, he disappeared. Do you know why he disappeared? Because God took him. There are only two people in the entire Bible that were just taken by God and didn't experience death. One is Enoch and the other, of course, is Elijah the prophet who just had Uh, flaming chariot, come and take him home. Now, I know we don't get to decide how we die or how we leave this earth. I've put in my application for one of those two. Either one's okay. I will take that. Um, And again, I, I know that's not our choice, but boy, those would be a great way to go. Now, you may say tonight, how do you know he just disappeared? How do you know? God just took him like that. Well, as you've heard me say many times and other pastors, the best commentary on the Bible is the, is the Bible. Hebrews 11, verse 5, is a key verse in the, on the life of Enoch. Hebrews eleven five. 5. Now, first of all, just the fact that it's in Hebrews 11, is significant because that's the great hall of faith. These great people of faith. So Enoch is included with the greatest men and women of faith in the Bible. We do know that about him. In Hebrews eleven five, fascinating verse. Absolutely fascinating. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. That verse is loaded. First of all, we know that Enoch lived a life of faith. Second, we know that he was taken up and didn't die. He never died. He was just taken up. Up means up. He was taken up to heaven. And we know that he was not found. Now, when the Bible says he was not found, it means that somebody was looking for him. Okay? So people were looking for him, and they couldn't find him. So one day, he was just gone. He was not found. And do you know why he was not found? It says right here, because God had taken him. Because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, in just a few minutes, I'm going to look at what does it mean To walk with God. But one thing is for sure. One thing we know for certain. To walk with God means to live a life that is pleasing to God. Because that's what the Bible says. Now before he was taken. He was commended. He was approved. By God. As having pleased him. Now. Forgive me for stating the obvious, but what comes after Hebrews 11.5 is Hebrews 11.6. And Hebrews 11.6 is one of the defining verses in all of the Bible on what is faith. (laughs) Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that great verse on faith in the New Testament comes immediately after what it says about Enoch, the man who walked with God. In another fascinating two verses about Enoch in the Bible, we do know that Enoch was a preacher of righteousness. In Jude, verses 14 and 15, it says this, and this is a part that we don't understand fully, Jude had at least some record, whether it was oral tradition or some ancient script, manuscript, knowing that Enoch had said this. So, he, the whole book of Jude, of course, is warning Jude's readers about the judgment to come of people who live Wicked and unrighteous lives. And he is warning them. And in doing so he quotes Enoch. And so we know this. And this is important folks tonight. Enoch lived. Amongst. A very wicked generation. To buttress that. Just in Genesis. Go over one chapter to Genesis chapter 6. It talks about the corruption of the human race. And the flood that God brings upon the earth, and we are introduced to a man named Noah. Let us all catch this tonight. Enoch walked with God in the midst of a wicked and corrupt generation. Do not let our present circumstances ever be an excuse for not walking with God. You may lament. And bemoan the corruption of our own generation. But that is never an excuse for not walking with God. Enoch did it in the midst of a very difficult culture. So, this is Enoch. The man who walked with God. The man who never died. He was not found because God had taken him. And we know that God approved of him. Because his life was pleasing To God. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Of all the statements that we could make about the Christian life, one of the most important is this to be a Christian is to walk with God. What a great summation! To be a Christian means to walk with God. In Genesis 6-9, it says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now watch this. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. In Genesis seventeen one, it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. The term walk before me. Means walk with me. Abram. Walk with me. And be blameless. And I love. Maybe you do too. I've always loved. Exodus thirty-three, eleven. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses. Face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. Isn't that a great statement. Boy I don't know about you. I want to know what that means. Moses, or God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So, what does it mean to walk with God? Certainly, it means to live a life pleasing to him. We have seen that. To walk with God is to live our lives every day in sweet fellowship and friendship with God. And to joyfully obey him and live for him. One paraphrase of um, Genesis 5.24 was, Enoch and God were really good friends all the days of Enoch's life. I like that paraphrase. Enoch and God were really good friends all the days of Enoch's life. That's what it means to walk with God. Now, we know that God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. But through Christ, but through Christ, we are his adopted sons and daughters. And he longs for us. Folks, he longs for us to abide in his presence. He longs for us to walk with him. I have read a number of books on the subject of biblical fasting. Of all the books I've read, and certainly I haven't exhausted all of them by any means, but probably the one that I have gotten the most out of, that has meant the most to me, impacted me the most, is a book by John Piper called A Hunger for God, Desiring God Through Prayer and Fasting. I kind of skimmed through the book Years ago, when it first came out, but recently, this last year, I went through it. I decided to go through it very slowly, so I bought the revised, updated edition of A Hunger for God and just went through it slowly. The foreword to that book is written by David Platt and Francis Chan. They write the foreword to the book, and this is what they say in the foreword that I think goes along beautifully with tonight. They say, We have read the sad statistics about the number of young people who turn away from the church once they are out of their parents' home. We have heard people explain that they have tried God when they were young, but that it didn't work for them. But we have to wonder, did they earnestly seek Him with their whole hearts? Did they cry out to Him in fasting and prayer? sometimes we earnestly seek after things from God rather than God himself. And then they say this. Please listen carefully. It is hard for us to imagine anyone leaving the presence of the living God, the maker and sustainer of heaven and earth and looking for something better. Just think about that. It is hard for us to imagine anyone Leaving the presence of the living God, the maker and sustainer of heaven and earth, and looking for something better. One of the things that I have had a particular burden for, especially in these later years of my ministry here, is really for men. I've tried to mentor and work with a number of men one-on-one, um, We've had the Men's Bible Institute class for a number of years. I just have this particular burden. Not every pastor has the same burden that, boy, if we can reach our men, we reach our families. Men are so important to the church. Women are too. Don't misunderstand me. But men in in that biblical sense are called to lead their homes spiritually. And I feel such a passion for them. And this is what I often share with our men. That I have a chance to work with, and that is when you die, when they do your funeral service, they may not say that you were rich. They may not say that you were famous. They may not say that you were a corporate executive. But if all they say about you is that you love Jesus, you will have lived a wonderful and full life. You will if all your wife and children remember about you, if all they say is, I know my dad walked with Jesus. My dad loved Jesus. You will have lived a wonderful and full life. And I say to all of us, men and women tonight, because we can love for Jesus, can, is a synonym for walking with God. If men and women tonight, if when you die and they do your funeral service, all they're able to say about you is she walked with God. You, you will have lived a wonderful and full life. And you will be remembered for many years after you die. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly? To show mercy and and to walk humbly with your God. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us. Oh Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us to walk with you every day in sweet fellowship, like Enoch did. We know that he was an ordinary man. We know that he was sinful like us. But we also know that he loved you and walked with you. And we long to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.